This message by Mike Pluniak was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Mike serves as a pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. Good morning. You can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 8. If you need a Bible this morning, you can raise your hand and one of our ushers will bring you a Bible, which is yours to keep. I'd love to have the Word of God in front of you as we read it this morning. We're continuing our series on the book of Acts, Luke's account of the, the birth of the church, beginning with the risen Lord Jesus telling his disciples the power of the Spirit would come upon them and they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And that is exactly what we have seen happening. And as the gospel continues to spread, it spreads in surprising ways. I don't think anyone could have predicted how this is happening. It's happening through persecution, through Stephen being martyred, this great persecution ravaging the church, men and women fleeing for their lives, but taking with them the good news of Jesus as they go. It's not how we would have designed the birth of the church, but we see God's sovereign hand at work in surprising ways in Acts. And I think our text today continues that theme. This is very surprising, what we are about to read. Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 26. This is God's word for us today. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth. 
And beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water... The Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Upon first reading of our text, the story seems pretty straightforward. Philip comes upon this man traveling in this chariot, reading the prophet Isaiah, and he shares with him the meaning of the text that he is reading. The man believes in Jesus and is baptized, and they both go on their merry way. Pretty simple. But upon further review, what we find behind the scenes of this text are very surprising details of God's Sovereign leading and work all to reach one man. We're going to have three points from our text this morning. Point number one is this. God's surprising sovereignty. God's surprising sovereignty. As Luke writes this account, I think he anticipates us being surprised by the details. No one could have seen this coming. And when I say God's surprising sovereignty, I don't mean that it is a surprise to God. There are no surprises to God. What I mean is God's sovereignty surprises us. He works in ways beyond our comprehension that we could never anticipate or predict or understand in the moment. That's what we've seen in our text. I myself... I am not a fan of surprises. I've learned in my marriage that there are individuals who love surprise parties and there are individuals who despise surprise parties. And myself, I'm not a fan. You may have figured that out already. Early in our relationship, my wife, using her creative gifting and because of her love and kindness toward me through me, an amazing surprise party. It really was one for the ages. It lasted forever. But I found myself, I was very thankful for it. Don't get me wrong, I was very thankful. But I found myself each year as my birthday approached, nervously waiting for what was going to happen. Looking for clues, being suspicious, watching my back. Opening doors cautiously, you know, just waiting for surprise. I didn't like that moment. As I studied this text this week, I continuously found myself being surprised. It seems so simple, the story. And as I went back verse by verse, I just thought, this, this is very surprising. And it begins in verse 26 with an angel of the Lord speaking to Philip. That alone should surprise us. That's not something that happens 
every day, at least not to me. And what is also surprising is what the angel tells Philip to do. To leave Samaria and go to the road between Jerusalem and Gaza. And Luke gives us this important detail in verse 26. This is a desert place. Last week, as we just studied in Acts about Philip in Samaria, what we find there is revival. And in chapter 8, verse 6, it said, And the crowds, with one accord, paid attention to what was being said by Philip. They were listening to the gospel. And we find unclean spirits, many of them being cast out of people. And we find many who were lame and paralyzed being healed. And it says, the whole city is filled with joy. This is revival breaking out. There are crowds of people, hundreds upon hundreds coming to Christ, hearing the gospel. And for an angel to say, leave that and go to the desert, to an uninhabitable region with very few people, well, that was surprising to me. That was very surprising. And credit to Philip in verse 27 for going. It says in verse 27, he rose and went. Now, I'm sure if an angel told me to do something, I would, I guess I'd obey the angel, you know. But I feel like I'd question him in this moment, you know. Are, are, are you sure? Like, do you see what's happening here? And you want me to go to that road in the desert, are you sure you got your GPS coordinates right from the Lord? Do you see what's happening? It is surprising. And, and he goes, and it's surprising who he encounters on this road. A very unusual person. Look at verse 27. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. I think we get caught up in this detail of him being a eunuch. This would not have been uncommon in that time for officials in the court of a queen to be a eunuch. Well, I think what's, what's more important here is the details of the position this man has. He is a finance minister in the royal court. He had authority. He had power. He had influence. He had wealth personally and unimaginable wealth of the queen at his disposal. This kingdom that he's in charge of is a large, historic, wealthy kingdom. This Ethiopian kingdom is where the queen of Sheba was from, who visited Solomon a thousand years earlier. Which might be the link between why this official was in Jerusalem to worship the Lord. We don't know this, but he knew of Israel's God somehow. And he had gone to Jerusalem. He was seeking the Lord. And it's surprising, as we read this text, that this man, what, it's surprising what he is reading in his chariot. In verse 28, it says that he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Listen, one could hardly imagine a better 
text from the entire Old Testament to share the good news of Christ's sacrifice for our sins than from Isaiah chapter 53, which just so happened to be the exact text this man was reading from. This is surprising. And the timing of all of this is surprising. If you read through Isaiah, it would take you about three and a half hours to get to chapter 53. I have no idea how long it would take to get there if you were riding in a chariot, reading from a scroll on a desert road. I'm guessing maybe a little longer than that. But you have to see God's perfect timing in getting Philip to the chariot at the exact moment this man is reading Isaiah chapter 53. What are the odds of all of this happening exactly like this? I would say you have a better chance of winning the Powerball than all these things happening by coincidence. Listen, if you believe in coincidences or chance, I think this passage would say no such thing. It's God's guiding hand. God is at work. Luke is wanting us to see God is doing this. God is the main character of our text. It's not ultimately a text about Philip or an Ethiopian. It's a text about God's surprising sovereignty. And I think this continues to happen to this day. There's a story I read once from Randy Alcorn in his book, Grace and Truth. A a modern-day story, a true story that happened to him similar to this. He writes this. He says, late one rainy night, my wife and I were leaving a movie theater when Nancy noticed an older man in the parking lot leaning on a walker, struggling. I helped him get into his car. Since he was so exhausted, I asked if I could drive him home. He declined, but I said we'd follow him home in case he needed help. As he, as he pulled out, driving erratically, he got trapped in a fast food drive through line. I opened his door and asked him to move to the passenger seat so I could drive him home while Nancy followed. As I pulled out, two men jumped in front of the car, waving their arms and a cell phone. One shouted, my wife's having our baby and I have to get home. Can you drive us? Well, I said, this isn't my car and I don't know this man sitting next to me. (laughs) Sounded pretty lame, don't you think? I asked Nancy to drive the older man's car and follow me while I took those guys home wherever that was. After dropping them off, I hopped back in with George, by now I knew his name, to take him home wherever that was. I found out George had been a political science professor at San Francisco State University for 28 years. I realized that most people of George's background would not count Bible-believing Christians among their favorite people. George asked me why we had helped him. I told him we were followers of Christ. I left him my book, In Light of Eternity. Be handy to have your own book to hand out. I prayed God would touch his life and hoped we'd hear the rest of the story in eternity. The story doesn't stop there. As it turns out, we didn't have to wait that long. Two months later... My assistant, Kathy, woke up in the middle of the night experiencing a strange medical problem she'd never had before and hasn't had since. The next day, she went to her doctor, bringing with her a copy of In Light of Eternity. 
When the doctor saw it, he said, one of my patients was carrying that book the other day, and he told me he wished he could talk to the author. Kathy returned to our office with George's phone number. I called him, and I asked if he wanted me to drop by. He did. George was full of questions. He wanted to know the truth about Jesus Christ. He couldn't get over the idea of grace, that God could really forgive rotten people. He said it sounded too easy. Two hours of discussion followed. I saw God's spirit at work in George. Finally, he prayed, confessed his sin, and accepted Christ's gift of eternal life. Now, what are the chances of all of these events coinciding? This is what he says. No chance at all. They were a series of divine appointments. I think, I think in our text, and we see this, the Lord is sovereignly orchestrating all these events. And I think we'll find this to be true in our text and true in our lives as well. I think this is happening constantly around us. God is sovereign. God is working. God is orchestrating all these events for his glory and the salvation of sinners. Think about how many times we say things like, you'll never believe who I ran into today. Or the strangest thing happened today. Or my favorite is, ah, what a small world. It's not a small world. It's massive. But God is sovereign. Pay, be attentive to God's surprising sovereignty. Don't chalk it up to coincidence or chance. The Lord, I think, wants to open our eyes this morning to see He's at work. To have this thought in that moment. When that happens, I know it happens to you. It happens all the time to have this thought. Maybe this is the Lord. Maybe God is doing this. Maybe God is in control and orchestrating these things. Anticipate being surprised. As we walk into each and every day, there should be an anticipation of God's surprising sovereignty. Behind any door could be a surprise. And I don't like surprises, but these are good ones. God's surprise. I think he just wants us to to be excited for the day. To say, I, I don't know who I'm going to run into. I don't know whose path I'm going to come into today. Who might be seeking the Lord today that I could share the good news of the gospel. Let's be attentive to God's sovereignty. Let's be attentive to the Spirit's leading throughout our day. And let me ask you this, why? All these details, God's surprising sovereignty, orchestrating all this. Why is God doing this? Why would God call Philip to leave Samaria where revival is breaking out? Why would God direct him to this chariot in the desert at the exact moment this man is reading Isaiah 53? Well, point number two is God's providential love. God's surprising sovereignty and God's providential love. One of the major themes in Acts we see here is how the gospel breaks down ethnic and social barriers. We saw that in Samaria last week and it's definitely at play in our text. These two men could not be more different. We find sitting together in this chariot in the desert. Yet this text 
is unique because we don't, we don't really ever find out the implications of this. This is a little bit different than the rest of Luke's account of the early church. Does, does the gospel spread in Ethiopia? We don't really know. He doesn't come back to tell us this. Luke's not highlighting churches being planted or a new move of the Lord in this area. This seems like an isolated incident. And the focus really is on this one man. All of this, look at the lengths God will go to for one man. You you have to see that in the text. All of this for this one man to hear the gospel. Sometimes we have this thought, and I don't know if we articulate it because it's not really kosher to say maybe, but we have this thought. There's so many people in the world. I think it's around 8 billion people right now, and each person with unique circumstances and challenges, and we can wonder, does God care? And, and, And we believe God is sovereign in a, in a general kind of way. You know, he, he keeps the world spinning. He's he not really involved in the details. But God's providence, biblically, is the application of God's sovereignty in your life. He's not just sovereign over everything. He's sovereign over you. He's providential over your life. It's applied specifically to you. It's just not general and vague. Does God specifically care about the details of each person's life? This text screams, yes, God does care. Scripture screams, yes, he cares. He is paying attention. He's not apathetic. He's not overwhelmed with information. He is not impotent to act. He's not unloving in his concern for people he loves this man. That's what we see in the text. He sees him in that chariot on the desert road. He hears him reading the prophet Isaiah. He knows he doesn't understand what he is reading. And so he sends Philip, who loves Jesus and loves telling people the good news about Jesus, dying for our sins right into his path. And I'm sure he was quite surprised in that moment. I read this text, and I can't help remember being in my dorm at UT 27 years ago, almost exactly to this day, lost, just miserable, a slave to my sin, searching for joy, searching for purpose, and God bringing the good news of the gospel to me. I read this text and I'm so reminded of God's specific providential love in my life. God wants you to see that too. He wants you to remember, to look back and see his providence in your life. And I think think if I could see behind the scenes of all the things God was doing to bring the gospel to me, it would be as miraculous as this story is. It would be just as miraculous. And I believe the same is true in your life as well. Behind the scenes, orchestrating all these events, and we see just a glimpse of it. It made me wonder if the Ethiopian ever knew all that God was doing behind the scenes for him. 
You know, like how did, how did the Ethiopian tell this story? What was his testimony? I wonder how he told it. You know, I was, I was riding through the desert one day and I was reading the scroll and I didn't understand what it was, what it was saying. And, and this dude runs up to my chariot and he's like, hey man, do you, do you understand what you're reading? And I said, no, I, I don't understand it at all. And then it was crazy. It was, it was crazy. But this guy knew all about Jesus. He knew what it was all about, you know, and he told me about it. What a small world, you know? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I don't know if he knew what Philip knew, which was all that God was doing behind the scenes. But I, I'm not sure we'll know either all that God is doing. But this text reminds us he's working. He's working behind the scenes in ways we cannot see. And so often our stories are we just see the fruit of it, you know. And I, I think back about my testimony and I, I look back at my life and I've been thinking about this this week. And I just see, we just see glimpses. We see the results. We see the coincidences, you know, just the happen to be. The, 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 man, I just happened to be in this dorm at UT. I just happened to go to this Bible study. I don't even know why. And I, if, I, if I could see behind the scenes all that God was doing to accomplish his purpose and will in our lives, I think we only get to see glimpses at times. And honestly, it's only looking back. Looking back, we see glimpses, but it should build our faith for the future. Look back and remember God's faithfulness. And I think there's, there's application here. As we read this, as we think about God's providential love, there's application beyond just our conversion. I don't think God's providential love and care stops when we get saved. That's just the beginning. And the Lord is highlighting his specific love for you. You're not lost in the shuffle. You're not just a face in the crowd with no name to the Lord. He's at work behind the scenes of your life as well. And we don't always understand what his providence is doing and I think our temptation is we get anxious we get anxious we're anxious we're going to miss out on God's will somehow we're going to miss it and when we feel like we have to strive to make things happen you know I, I, I have to do this I've got to strive I've got to work harder You know, I love those prophetic words this morning, just seeing God's work because we can be so anxious and we can be concerned that we've blown it or we've messed up or somehow we've missed it. You know, we've ruined it. We've blown our lives. I think the Lord wants to open our eyes in this little glimpse behind the scenes of this man's life and how God works. For the college student in a new place, Wondering if you made the right choice. God has sovereignly brought you here. God's at work. For the parent of the teen. Praying and asking the Lord to soften their heart and to do a work in their life. Feeling like you've got to strive to make this happen. Feeling like you've messed up somehow. God is providentially at work right now in ways you cannot see. He is at work. He knows your teen. He's at work in their life. For anyone with, with unmet desires, desiring good things and wondering, is God going to provide? Have I missed it? Somehow did I miss the path and I've chosen the wrong way? 
We just don't know all the ways God is working behind the scenes while we wait. But I do know there are thousands upon thousands of testimonies in this room alone of God's perfect timing in people's lives. And when we look back, we get a glimpse. I didn't understand in the moment. I was disappointed. I was anxious. I was worried. I was trying so hard. And the Lord was working the whole time. God providentially loves each and every one of you. This text highlights the lengths he will go to for one person, one man, which is true in your life as well. We see his surprising sovereignty. We see his providential love. And then finally, point three, we see God's saving grace. God's saving grace. Look down at verse 30, because I love this little moment in our text. I love Philip's question when he overhears him reading Isaiah 53. Do you understand what you are reading? I love this moment because I think this is so instructive to us in our evangelism. I love this. For many of us, just sharing the gospel can be intimidating, you know? But being, but being interested in people... Asking questions, I find this so helpful. Uh, Philip doesn't run up and begin shouting at his chariot the meaning of the text. That probably would have freaked him out a little bit. But he asks the question, do you understand? Randy Newman wrote one of my favorite books on evangelism called Questioning Evangelism. And he highlights this. He highlights in the book how Jesus does this. Jesus, Jesus will often answer a question with a question. And we'll find this in Scripture over and over. And he tells this story in his book, Questioning Evangelism. He says, Once a team of skeptics confronted me. It was during a weekly Bible study for freshman guys that we held in a student's dorm room. The host of the study in whose room we were meeting had been telling us for weeks of his roommate's antagonistic questions. This week, the roommate showed up along with a handful of like-minded friends. The frequently asked question of exclusivity arose, more an attack than a sincere inquiry. So, I suppose you think all those sincere followers of other religions are going to hell. Do you believe in hell? I responded. He appears as if he's never seriously considered the possibility. After a long silence, he said, no, I don't believe in hell. I think it's ridiculous. Echoing his word choice, I said, well, then why are you asking me such a ridiculous question? I wasn't trying to be a wise guy. Randy, I think you were. It's okay. It's okay to be a wise guy sometimes. I wasn't trying to be a wise guy. I simply wanted him to honestly examine the assumptions behind his own question. The silence was broken by another questioner who chimed in. Well, I do believe in hell. Do you think everyone who disagrees with you is going there? Of course, I asked, do you think anyone goes there? Is Hitler in hell? Hitler has turned out to be a helpful, if unlikely, ally in such discussions. (laughs) The guy responded, of course Hitler's in hell. How do you think God decides who goes to heaven and who goes to hell? Does he grade on a curve? From there, 
the discussion became civil for the first time. And the serious interaction about God's holiness, people's sinfulness, and Jesus' atoning work followed. Answering questions with questions turned out to be a more effective, albeit indirect, way to share the gospel. There's tons of helpful stories and tips in that book, but I love this because I just, I saw this in the text this week. Do you understand what you are reading? And it opens the door for this gospel conversation and it leads to the Ethiopian inviting Philip into his chariot to help him understand. And the Ethiopian is reading Isaiah chapter 53. As I said, one can hardly imagine a better text from the Old Testament to preach the gospel. Look at the passage he's reading in verse 32. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. And then in verse 35, Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. What a great text to share the gospel from. I mean, listen to other sections of Isaiah 53. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrow. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. All we like sheep have gone astray and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And the Ethiopian asked a great question. Who is the prophet writing about? Who is this about? Who is this sheep that is led to the slaughter? Who is the one who opens not his mouth? Who is the one who is crushed for our iniquities? Who is he writing about? And Philip gets to tell him, although these were written over 700 years ago, they were just fulfilled in Jesus Christ. They were just fulfilled. Have you heard about Jesus? Because everything in Isaiah 53, he just accomplished it. And he rose from the dead. And let me tell you the good news about Jesus Christ. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. And I love this because when he heard the good news, he believed and he was saved. That could be true for you today, right now. I don't believe in coincidence. I don't believe in chance. I believe in God's sovereignty. Whatever means he used to get you here this morning, maybe it was to hear that message. That Christ died for your sins. And if you turn from your sins and you believe, you can be saved. This could be your providential moment as well. And in verse 36, he wants to be baptized. What a great text on a Sunday like this to proclaim that he is a follower of Jesus Christ. He wants to make it known. I am born again. I am a new creation. And surprisingly, in the desert, there is water. I mean, did you catch that detail? Look, 
Here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? In the desert, God's sovereignty. And if you are astute, you might have noticed, look down at verse 37. And you might have noticed it doesn't exist. It's not in your Bible. Or maybe now you're just noticing it for the very first time. There is no verse 37. Why is that? Well, some manuscripts had a verse there where Philip answered his question about being baptized. Where the, the, the Ethiopian asked, what prevents me from being baptized? And there was a verse in there by Philip saying, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And the Ethiopian replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And through the study of textual criticism, they studied all the early manuscripts of Acts. And verse 37 wasn't in the earliest manuscripts. And our best guess is someone along the way did not like that Luke did not include a profession of faith. Because that was what the early church practiced. You professed your faith and then you were baptized. But Luke's point here is this baptism was a proclamation of being united to Christ through his death and resurrection. He was a new creation. He was united to Christ. And Luke's whole thing is he wanted to proclaim his trust in Jesus by being baptized. And that's what we saw this morning. It was a proclamation from those getting baptized that they are in Christ. They are new creations. Their old self, their sin has been buried with Christ in his death. And they are raised to newness of life just as Jesus was raised from the grave. That's what this Ethiopian was proclaiming. And I love the result of all this in verse 39. And he went on his way rejoicing just the joy he was so happy I mean I don't know how he told the story I don't know if he knew the behind the scenes details but the result was joy he was a new creation don't you just love a happy ending I love happy endings I do I don't like surprises but I love happy endings and this is the result this is the effect, all this surprising sovereignty, this providential love, all the lengths God will go to for one man, and it just results in joy, just rejoicing. I think, I didn't give you the main point early on, so I wanted to give it to you now. I think this is what God wants us to take away from this text. God wants to open our eyes to the lengths he will go to for one person. I think God wants to open our eyes, the lengths he will go to, his love, his sovereignty, his care. I think you could apply that to your life. You can apply that to people you run into this week in such a small world as we live in that you bump into the lengths that God will go to for one person. I, listen, I don't, I don't like surprises. I'm not a fan of surprise parties. I like to know what's coming, but as I've studied this text and as, a, as I've recounted in my own life all the ways God has surprised me and cared for me and been faithful to me, the result is I trust Him. I trust Him. And I don't know what the future holds for you, but our texts like this are great opportunities to remember God's 
surprising sovereignty in our lives, to remember His providential love for you, to remember His saving grace. The same God who did all this working behind the scenes is the same God working behind the scenes of your life. Let's trust Him. And this morning, we have an opportunity to express our trust in God. As we return to singing, we're going to have a time of prayer. We typically set aside a Sunday each month to pray for folks. We'll have pastors down here and members of our prayer team. And it's really an opportunity to express our trust in God, in His plan, in His will. If you need faith this morning that God's at work behind the scenes, if you need encouragement to keep trusting Him, if you are waiting on the Lord and you're praying and asking God for something, we'd love to pray with you. For any reason, if you would like prayer, you can make your way down front and we would love to pray for you. And let's stand together and invite the worship team to come back up. And let's pray. Well, Father... We confess our trust in you this morning. You are sovereign. You are good. Each person this morning, Father, in this room, I pray that they would leave this morning with an awareness of your specific love for them. I pray over lunch there would be testimonies of your providence and your grace and your love. I pray we would recount all the ways that you have been faithful to us. And it would lead us to trust you, Lord. To not be anxious this week, but to trust your sovereign hand in all things. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message given by Mike Pluniak during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.